Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. I got another bi-weekly off-season podcast episode coming out here. We got a lot to get into today. We're sitting here February 2nd, or five days away from the Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're about one month removed from the last Jets regular season game. We're about a month and a half away from the beginning of free agency, two and a half months away from the NFL draft. And although that seems like it's so far away, and we're kind of in this lull of Jets football, there is still so much that we got to get to. And I've actually got a pretty packed episode. It's a very uh, very informative, numbers-based uh, kind of look at the roster. It's going to be the state of the franchise, breaking down where we're at. We're going to start talking about some coaching. We're going to go over the news and rumors, including some updates on Deshaun Watson. Just going to preview the Super Bowl really quick. I got the fun sections, father time, what's on tap, and then we're going to get into that bulk of the episode, state of the franchise. We're going to do a salary cap breakdown, talk about the active contracts, the dead contracts, the internal free agents that we got, the positions in need, and then I'll close it out with my top five priorities for the offseason in a recap, at least pertaining to the Jets' current rosters and the players that are leaving it right now. There's a lot of information, a lot of stuff that we got to use to kind of prepare for. What do we have for our nest egg to get free agents? What is the market looking like? And we're going to get into all of that as well. We're definitely going to preview free agency, find some target guys there. We're definitely going to preview the draft and all that. Talk about potential trade scenarios for guys like Deshaun Watson. But all that comes with, like, what do you actually have in terms of assets from a salary standpoint? Because you can only do what you can do. You know, it's a hard cap in the NFL. You have to work underneath a specific number. That right now, projecting to be about $175 million is the floor for NFLPA. Chose that in, like, July one seventy five is the floor. It looks like people are estimating maybe one eighty right now. We're gonna do all of our estimates based off of one seventy five million for this podcast. But uh, yeah, let's get into it. Before we do, I always have to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It's on Apple. It's on Overcast. On Spotify. It's basically anywhere you're looking for podcasts. Podcast title: Gangrene Nation Podcast Series. Title: This is the Jet Life. And then follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan for more random Jets thoughts and content throughout the week. We are, as I mentioned, on a bi-weekly schedule, so there's a little bit less coming at you than usual. But I'm still on Twitter frequently. And let's get into this thing. Talking about the coaching finalizations, basically Robert Sala was hired in. Still absolutely stoked about that. The rest of the guys have been hired around the NFL for the head coaching vacancies. And when you look around, there were a couple big names that were hired, but none of them were as flashy and as exciting as Robert Sala. And if you look around analysts from not even Jets people just saying like, who nailed the coaching hiring? The Jets did. And Robert Sala had offers from a bunch of different teams and other teams wanted to get him in, but he chose the Jets because this is where he wanted to be. And that whole thing is just awesome. So he sets his coordinators at Mike LaFleur, who is the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Matt LaFleur's little brother. Defensive coordinator Jeff Ulbrich, who has been around the league and worked with him in the past. Kind of a fiery guy, reminds me of a young Greg Williams. Robert Sala said he's not going to call defensive plays himself, so Jeff Ulbrich will be doing that. And then we retain 
Special teams coordinator Brant Boyer, a guy who had a ton of success a few years ago with Jason Myers and Andre Roberts making the Pro Bowl. It's been a little bit less flashy the last couple of years, but I still think Brant Boyer is a good coach. And one of the things about all that is when you ask people, like, you know, is your special teams doing well? Are your numbers looking good? You have to ask yourself, did we invest in the players in that unit? Because when you invest in a guy like Jason Myers or Andre Roberts, who had been, you know, a career return man, then it's a lot easier to find success there. When you've got guys like McLaughlin and Ficken and Castillo with Kari Vedvik mixed in, and then you've got return men just coming off the practice squad, coming off of other teams, ending with Corey Ballantyne, it gets to a point where it's like if you're not investing in the unit, you can't expect a ton back. I think the Jets have chosen not to invest a ton into the unit, and considering it actually hasn't been as big a flop as you may expect. So Brant Boyer gets another stint with the Jets. This is going to be, I believe, the third coach that he'll be working with. So power to him making it through all that and sticking around with the New York Jets. He is now one of the longest-tenured guys in the team. Very cool for him. Looking at Deshaun Watson, that is the next order of business because that is all anybody's talking about right now is Deshaun Watson this and what do you got to give up to get Deshaun Watson? Who were players for? What is the scoop with him and Houston? Basically, the updates coming out right now is that Houston is saying everything that they can to try to get Deshaun Watson to stay there, saying that they want to keep him. They're trying to make it seem like it's not a big as big an issue as it is, potentially to try to get a little bit of leverage so that people aren't just like, okay, if you're looking to trade him, if we know you're looking to trade him, we're going to offer you a little bit less. We think you're going to hold on to him. Maybe we have to pry a little bit more, throw a couple bit more assets at you, try to get him. That's potentially what they're doing. But I think that when you got a guy like Deshaun Watson, who's as young as he is and as talented as he is, you do want to try to hold on to him. It just is getting to the point where it's like, is it salvageable? After what happened with DeAndre Hopkins, the way they hired their general manager and head coach without consulting him after telling him that they would consult him. Not that he has to make the decision on who the head coach is or the general manager, but for them to say like, hey, we're going to keep you in the loop so that you can at least have you know, a thought that we kind of consider in this whole process since you're super important to us. They told him that, and then they go on and hire these people without even telling him, and he finds out through Twitter, and it's just like a stab in the back based off of laziness and rudeness, and when he sees that and the writing's on the wall, like we saw it with Hopkins, other Texans players are coming out saying like, this is not a place to be. It sounds like he will be moving on. He hasn't said that he's going to hold out yet, that he's not going to play football if they don't trade him, but... That stuff normally wouldn't happen this time of the year. That'll be coming up potentially. We'll see how they treat him, but expect him probably to get dealt somewhere because we're getting reports from Rappaport, from Schefter, that we've got like 15, 16, 17 teams around the league calling on Deshaun Watson. Now, when you look at the salary caps of other teams, most teams can't afford him right now. They'd have to do a lot of cap maneuvering to get him on there. But the fact that that many teams are calling, it just shows like, okay, this guy really is... Pretty big asset. It's not going to be as easy as just going after a guy that, you know, won two teams in the mix. It's like, these might not be explosive offers. People might not be offering three, four first-round picks, but just call and say, hey, what would it take, by the way? Because, you know, we have a good quarterback right now, but we think Deshaun Watson would definitely be better. Okay, you're talking about, like, a top-five quarterback in the league, and then whoever you got on your roster, dole him out elsewhere. So Deshaun Watson thinks super interesting. One of the names that uh, I kind of think is interesting as well is J.J. Watt. He's been mentioned. It came out that, you know, there's senses growing within the Texans organization that J.J. Watt may have played his last snap with the Houston Texans. 
Now, I don't know where the growing senses are coming from, but that sounds like something that's manufactured within the organization and told to the beat writers and whatnot to make a story to try to get fans to kind of cope with the idea that J.J. Watt, their Captain America hero down there, may not be returning. I think that it's easier to kind of do that now than just rip the Band-Aid and cause a whole mutiny of the fan base. Get people at least thinking that way. J.J. Watt carries a very heavy price tag this year of like $17 million, which is a lot for a guy of his age that gets injured as frequently as he does. I think that he's one of those guys that they would try to move off of their roster to try to make cap space because he probably at this point isn't worth all of the money that they're getting. And they've, you know, he's shown some distaste towards the way the team's been handled and the way the players play for them. So is it possible they would want to move J.J. Watt with Deshaun Watson? I think yes, and honestly, I don't think taking J.J. Watt would be, you know, a real net positive for the team getting him. I think that the cost that he carries, actually, it would be like, hey, you have to take J.J. Watt, too. You'd be like, I don't really want him. They're like, well, we're only doing the deal if you take him. It's kind of like a punishment in that regard, but he's a guy that can play, and for the Jets, who need pass rushers, be outside linebacker, edge guys, defensive ends, whatever. Robert Sala, we know he can do a rotation of defensive linemen. I think J.J. Watt could fit in here. We've got the cap space to do it. And if his name is thrown in there, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. That's all I'm kind of saying about that. So I'm still interested in Deshaun Watson. I don't want to give up everything. My dad is still all over the place. We got a father time from him two weeks ago on the last episode where, uh, you know, he mentions the good, the bad, and the cost of it all. And I got another father time submission from him tonight. Along the same lines, a little bit different, but more thoughts on the same subject. Because, again, this is, like, the huge news. This is potentially franchise, earth-shattering, whole franchise shakeup stuff that could happen. Some of the biggest transactions you could imagine is trading for a 25-year-old star Pro Bowl quarterback. And it's, like, it's feeling close. So here's another father time from my dad. This is this week's father time by David Burnham. There we go. Life is getting better all the time for Jets fans. Joe Douglas hired the consensus most coveted head coaching candidate of the year. And the Jets are now a desired destination for 25-year-old Deshaun Watson, arguably a top-five quarterback. It's uncanny how fast things can change. To be clear, I want Watson to be a Jet, but let's take a quick look at the current price tag. Reliable source John McClain in Houston says that the Texans want two number one picks, two number two picks, plus two defensive starters— That's four draft picks that would be expected starters, plus two current defensive starters, essentially totaling six starters. The previous expected price was three first-round picks. But there is a reason for the price change. I'm reading between the lines here, and I'm saying the Texans want a former number one pick that is currently playing, and that's Quinn and Williams. They might as well come out and say it. That's who they want. The Texans are basically calling Quinn and Williams that third first-round pick. Mark this down. Quinnen Williams is going to be dominant in Robert Sala's 4-3 defensive front. No more two-gap responsibilities will make him an unstoppable force. He is the definition of a defensive foundational player for the Jets. I expect him to be an all-pro on this defense very soon. If the Texans insist on two number ones, Quinnen Williams, and two number two picks, I say no. Have a nice day. There are many other good options for the Jets. I can reluctantly send three number ones, and some pocket change to Houston for Deshaun Watson, but Quinn and Williams must remain a Jet. So to me, if Joe Douglas winds up saying that the price for Deshaun Watson was simply too high, 
it'll be because he wouldn't part with Quinn and Williams in the trade package. And you'll hear me applaud. And if Joe Douglas says he traded Watson for three number one picks, I will also applaud. So let's make a deal. Or not. Go Jets. End scene. So right there, back on that Deshaun Watson topic. Dad's got a lot more information on this whole thing from his opinions of last week. Now, the name Quinn and Williams being thrown in there as a possible trade partner in that whole thing. I'm going to start here by saying I absolutely agree that I don't want to give up first-round picks and Quinn and Williams, who is a foundational defensive player for the Jets. I understand that defensive tackle is nowhere near as important as a quarterback, but to trade away first-round picks and a guy like him, you are taking so many steps back, and you're praying that your draft picks will become as good as Quinn and Williams is going to be, and it just, you finally get one, and to take another step back and then trade more away. I'm with him on that. But, uh, you know, it's it's tough to say. There's a lot of theories and and just guesses at what it might cost to get him. My dad keeps mentioning that he doesn't really want to do a ton to get Deshaun Watson, that this is too expensive and that's too expensive and doesn't want to give away Quinn Williams. He mentions him an awful lot, though, right? It sounds like my dad really wants Deshaun Watson. He just doesn't want to give up a lot, and I think I'm in the same boat. I'd love Watson to be a quarterback for the Jets. I'd love that. But I also am super excited for the first-round picks that we have this year. The number two overall pick we can do some damage with, trade back, draft there, whichever. The number 23 pick, having two next year, and then having players like Quinn and Williams. I mean, we can do damage without Deshaun Watson. And my least favorite, by far, my least favorite thing that anybody is saying right now is the Jets need to do whatever it takes to get Deshaun Watson. No price is too high. You have to go out there and get him. Find a way to get it done. That is asinine to me. There is absolutely a price that's too high. Getting Deshaun Watson does not make you a Super Bowl team just by itself. You have to have a good team around. You can look at the Texans and you can see what they did. They had a horrible team around them, ton of dysfunction, bad coaching, all of that. I get it. But it wins you, what, four or five games? Having Deshaun Watson there with a really bad team? You need a team. You need other stuff around him. I think Robert Sala is a good start. I think players like Quinn and Williams being on the team is a good start. But if you start giving all that stuff away, then, you know, if you overpay for Deshaun Watson, it's a net negative return. If you underpay and you find a way to negotiate and give a little bit less and get more for it, it's a net positive. So that's what I'm looking for. Don't want him going to the Patriots. Don't want him going to the Dolphins. Don't want to overpay. Let's try to find a way to eliminate all three of those things and then potentially get him on this roster. So thank you, Dad, for this week's Father Time. Always fun to talk about Deshaun Watson these days because it really does feel like a possibility. All right, the next thing that I want to touch on just briefly is the Super Bowl. That is coming up this Sunday, 6.30 p.m. on CBS. We got Tony Romo. We got Jim Nance covering Kansas City at Tampa Bay. Usually you don't have a home team in a Super Bowl, but this is actually being played in Tampa Bay. First time a home team hosting the Super Bowl is actually playing in it. It's kind of bizarre. It definitely gives, you know, an advantage to the Buccaneers. But it's not the end of the world. They're going to paint it up, Chiefs and Buccaneers. They are going to have plenty of fans from both sides representing. And it's only going to be filled to like 25,000 out of the 75,000 or so that it holds. So you're not even going to be hearing as loud of a fan base and everything. It's not like it's going to be altering the snap counts and stuff the way that it might in a regular season. So I don't think that's a big deal. Right now, the line is currently set about minus three Kansas City. 
So I think that that is absolutely doable for the Chiefs. I'm not going to be betting on this game, but if I was, I would bet Chiefs. I know that it's bad to bet against Tom Brady. This guy can make stuff happen. He is a proven winner, but those Chiefs are damn dangerous. I mean, they can get a ton done. you got some injuries in the backfield for the Bucks right now. you got a one-two punch in Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, possibly the best one-two punch in the entire league. And it's just going to be very, very tough for the Bucks to get stops against the Chiefs. I believe in the two playoff games the Chiefs have played, they've only been forced to punt one time. That's crazy. They are a force to be reckoned with on offense. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers just simply aren't. I know the Chiefs' defense isn't great, but I'm going Chiefs all the way. Maybe I'm a little biased. I don't want to see Tom Brady win again. Absolutely not. I hate Bill Belichick more than Tom Brady. I think Belichick is responsible for the reason, responsible for why Tom Brady is the way he is right now. I think that he was like a bad father creating a bad son in that situation. And I do enjoy seeing Tom Brady right now kind of proving that he was the biggest factor in the Patriots' success over the years not Bill Belichick, but even still, I can't watch Tom Brady win another Super Bowl. So I'm going Chiefs all the way. Hate Tyreek Hill. Never want to root for him, but in this case, I got to do it. Now, before we move over to the Jets, one more interesting piece of news that came out this week that I almost failed to mention was the Matt Stafford for Jared Goff trade. And this one's super interesting because the Jets are currently talking about trading for quarterback into Sean Watson, and you're wondering, okay, this is a big trade between quarterbacks, two teams. What does it cost to get a guy? Matt Stafford is better than Jared Goff. We know that. We know that the Rams want to move on from Jared Goff. Jared Goff has a huge price tag, and nobody would be willing to pay for that. They can't cut him, and nobody wants to trade for it. It's honestly similar to the Brock Osweiler situation, where he was overpaid by the Texans. They wanted to get rid of him, and they had to give up a pick with Osweiler to the Browns to get the Browns to take him and his contract. So when you see the trade compensation, you think to yourself, how in the world did the Rams trade Jared Goff two first-round picks and a third-round pick just for Matt Stafford? How is Stafford worth that much? Well, the reason is you could potentially do a trade that would just be a first-round pick from the Rams for Matt Stafford, and that would work just fine. I think that would be a fair type of trade, maybe with that third thrown in. But when you get into the Jared Goff situation, the Rams can't have Jared Goff's contract and Matt Stafford's contract and retain other players and be competitive with other players in free agency and within their own franchise. So they have to find a way to get rid of Jared Goff. They can't cut him because they're going to get too much dead money and no team wants to trade for him. So what they say is like, all right, Lions, you have to take Jared Goff. And the Lions are like, we don't want Jared Goff. Not for $35 million. We don't want that guy. Thank you anyway. And they go, no, seriously, like we can't make this trade happen if you don't take him. So they say, all right, well, like give us another first round pick to make this interesting. And that's kind of, I think where we settled, it wasn't that Matt Stafford was worth two firsts and a third. It was that getting rid of Jared Goff and having to take him on for the Lions was just like, you're sticking us with this guy. You're going to pay up. We're going to give you Stafford as well. You're going to have to pay up for that. It was two things that they were paying for at the same time, not just Stafford. So I don't think it impacts the Deshaun Watson value as much as other people do. I think that Deshaun Watson's still somewhere around three first round picks, Um, you know, we heard the compensation my dad mentioned, two first, two second, two starters. I think that's kind of around what he's worth. I think that makes sense. you got to try to find a way to get a little bit less. Give a little bit less to get him. So that is the breaking news there. Very interesting. That's the beginning of this quarterback carousel. People like Adam Schefter are predicting maybe 
16 to 17 quarterbacks may be different starting for their teams coming into 2021. So we got our first two big shakeup here. And we'll see if it impacts what the Jets do. So now before moving over to the Jet side of this whole thing, our state of the franchise breakdown, we got to do a quick commercial. All righty, everybody, welcome back. We are going to get into the New York Jets and talk about the state of the franchise. We are going to be talking everything from contracts, upcoming Jets free agents, the guys that we're paying that aren't even on the team anymore, people that we could potentially cut, priorities, all of that. Tons of information coming at you. Um, but first, we got to kind of figure out where is the salary cap shaking up. Right now, it's projected to be about $175 million, which is like $15 million less than the $198 million from last year. So you wonder, all right, how much money are the Jets going to have to spend out there on a projected $175 million cap? We'll start active contracts. The players that are currently set to play for the Jets under contract in 2021 before any cuts, $123 million. We've got $15 million of dead money from players that are not on the team anymore that we just cut to save some. We did get to roll over $26 million of the cap from last year that was unspent. So that puts you at about $65 million. That is the second most in the league behind only the Jaguars who have about $3 million more. Now, the Jets could potentially cut like a Henry Anderson and an Alex Lewis. And with those two players right there, you make $13 million instantly and basically lose, from what we saw last year, not that much on the field. That's something that definitely will happen very quickly. But still, that $65 million that the Jets will have is a lot of money. Just how much are we talking? What does that mean? There are only four teams that are over $36 million in salary cap space. Only four teams have over 36. The Jets are at 65. Most of the league is under 35. You've got 15 teams, actually, in this league that have negative cap space right now. On a projected cap of 175, these teams are over the cap currently and would have to manage their roster, finagle cut players, and find a way to get under the cap before the year begins. Saints, for example, are like $110 million over the cap. So there's going to be a lot of extra cuts, cap casualties from other teams, not the Jets. Now that every team has less money to spend and everybody's penny-pinching trying to find a way to get under the cap but still sign some free agents, the deals are not going to be as lucrative as they usually are. It's not going to be $28 million deals for wide receivers and stuff like that. It was trending in that direction, but I think it's going to take a step back. I think it's maybe going to be more like the contracts we were seeing given out 2016-17. And players are going to have to decide, like, do they want to play on franchise tags? Do they want to take one-year deals? Or is the league going to create some sort of credit card system where they can roll over money from another year and start using cap from a different year to keep it an even playing field? We're not entirely sure. And in reality, the salary cap could be decided, like, hours before the league year begins, which would be crazy. These teams would just be scrambling at the last minute. But either way, the Jets, no matter what, are going to have more money than 30 teams in the league. And it puts them in a really good spot. So let's see what kind of makes up the contracts, the salary cap the Jets currently have right now. Talking active contracts, players the Jets currently have under contract, we're going to go position by position. I only listed the players that are potentially going to be on the roster. If there's a guy that's like, there's no chance he's just going to be here for a training camp body, I didn't put him on. And some of these players easily 
could be cut. Some of them save money to cut them. There's a different story for every single player. Every single contract has, you know, you could talk about it for 20 minutes, what it is, what it means, why they got this contract, what they're worth, what the market value is, all that. We're just going to shoot through who we've got under contract right now if we want them. At quarterback, we've got three guys, Sam Darnold, James Morgan, Mike White. Running back, you got LaMichael Pirine and Ty Johnson. Usually you want to have like maybe three, four running backs. We're a little short there. Moving over to wide receiver, you've got Denzel Mims, Jamison Crowder, Braxton Berrios, and then you've got some possibilities in Lawrence Cager and Josh Malone, if you want them. Josh Dockton's there too, but I don't see it happening. At tight end under contract, Chris Herndon, you got Ryan Griffin, you got Trevon Wesco. At tackle, you've got Fant, Becton, Adoga, and McDermott. At guard, we've got Alex Lewis, Cameron Clark, Greg Van Roten. One center right now of note, Connor McGovern. And we don't have a fullback, which is something that would probably be used in the Shanahan system that LaFleur will be running. Wesco kind of plays fullback here and there. We'll see if that's good enough for the system that he wants to run or if we're going to add another one. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball. At defensive tackle, we've got Quinn and Williams, Foley Fadakasi, and I listed Nathan Shepard here. We're probably going to be running a little bit more 4-3 than 3-4, which means four down linemen rather than three, but it's going to be very fluid. Robert Saul is going to be rotating pieces, and the way the NFL works now with nickel cornerbacks and dime cornerbacks, you hardly ever are in a base formation of 4-3. You've usually got another DB on the field anyway, so that stuff is kind of irrelevant. But I see Nathan Shepard as more of a defensive tackle side, so I put him there. Defensive end under contract, we got Henry Anderson, Jabari Zaniga, John Franklin Myers, and Kyle Phillips. Outside linebacker, we've only got one, Bryce Huff, who is kind of a, a down lineman, defensive end, edge guy, potentially outside linebacker, though we haven't seen him drop back into coverage much yet. Inside linebacker, C.J. Mosley, who hasn't played in two years, and Blake Cashman, who is on and off the field. At cornerback, we've got LaShawn Austin, Bryce Hall, young nickel guy Javelin Guidry, and then Lamar Jackson and Corey Ballantyne, who are some more back-end guys. At safety, we've only got one, Ashton Davis, who's going to fit more into a probably a strong safety-style role, but we don't have a free safety right now. We don't have a backup safety. A bit of a mess there. Punter, we've got Braden Mann. Only need one, so that's all set. At kicker, we've got two right now under contract, Sam Ficken and McLaughlin, which basically means we have none under contract right now. And one long snapper in Thomas Hennessy. Now, we've got some other guys, too, players that aren't really worth mentioning because they haven't played much for the Jets, they haven't done much in the league, and they'll be there. They'll have an opportunity in training camp and preseason, if there is a preseason, to you know, spread their wings and make the roster. But we're not going to count on them right now. Those are just the players, all that were listed, that are potentially going to be on the Jets. Now, 11 of those players are getting paid more than $2 million. That's it. Everybody else is making $1 million or less. The only guys in that list that are making more than $2 million, Jameson Crowder's got a cap hit this year of $11 million. Potentially something we'd want to work with. You know, see if we can find a way to restructure and get a little bit less on that cap hit than $11 million for Jamison Crowder. Sam Darnold's got a cap hit of a $9.7 million. He's another guy that if you do get a Deshaun Watson or a new quarterback, you could potentially move him elsewhere. 
Henry Anderson's got a cap hit of $9.5 million. But he's only got $1.3 million dead, so you can make $8 million instantly by cutting him, which will happen. George Fant, $9.3 million cap hit. He's only got $2 million of dead cap, so if you wanted to cut George Fant, if you had a better tackle that you wanted to play instead of him, you could cut him and make $7 million. I don't really see that happening because he played a pretty good season last year, and uh, I think that Joe Douglas values offensive line and depth so much that he probably wouldn't want to get rid of him. Connor McGovern, he's making $9.3 million. We're keeping him. He's staying with that. Quinn Williams making nine. He's going to stay with that as well. C.J. Mosley, this one's interesting because the way that he opted out from this season, he deferred some of his salary. So he's still got $19.8 million due from the Jets that he has to get paid no matter what. But this year, in 2021, we'll only be giving him $7.5 million of that. So he'll still have $12 million debt after this year. So at this point, it doesn't make any sense to cut him. You won't find anybody that'll probably trade for him. So unless C.J. Mosley opts out again or is just injured forever, he will be back on this team. Alex Lewis, he's getting paid $6 million, 6.8 actually. He's only getting 1.6 guaranteed there. So you cut him, you make $5 million real quick. So I expect that to happen. But Kai Becton on his rookie deal, making 4 mil. He's not going anywhere. Greg Van Roten, he's making 3.4 mil. He has no dead money. So you could cut him now and make all $3.4 million back, but I don't see that happening because he played a really good guard, and again, Joe Douglas values that offensive line. Ryan Griffin, he's making $3.2 million, which is kind of high for a guy that doesn't do all that much. He's a guy that you cut him, you could save $1.5 million. I think that it probably is worth it to get rid of him and get somebody else in there. So everybody else after that, guys like Denzel Mims, Connor McDermott, Nathan Shepard, Ashton Davis, all those guys are making $1.2 million or less. So very, very small numbers. At that point, like cutting a guy like Trevon Wesco, yeah, you could save $600,000. It's not going to make or break the team. You may have to do a couple of those moves at the end to like get under a number or make a little bit of extra money for somebody, but it's not going to get you another star player by getting rid of them. The only players that really have an impact on that that you could move are Jamison Crowder, Henry Anderson, George Fant, Alex Lewis, and, you know, Greg Van Roten. That's basically it. Everybody else is basically either just stuck there because their contract is guaranteed or they don't make any money. So the Jets basically will have somewhere around $80 million, $83 million, probably in salary cap space to spend in free agency. And you have to pay for your draft players as well. We would have more money. We've got three guys that are getting paid this year, big money, that are not playing for the Jets and haven't played. Trumaine Johnson in 2021 is going to cost $8 million in 2021. This guy hasn't played for the team in over a year. This is a friendly reminder of what a bad contract can do to a team. $8 million in 2021 we will be paying Trumaine Johnson. Le'Veon Bell will be getting paid in 2021. $4 $4 million, and Quincy Anunua will be getting $3.6 million from the Jets for not doing a darn thing. And that's what big contracts that don't live out the entirety of their life do. If you have a guy and you give him five years and $70 million and you, after two years, realize that you don't want him anymore, you can get absolutely screwed. And the Jets luckily have enough money elsewhere because they don't have any big contracts really across the entire team when you're looking at it 
the highest paid players, $11 million. Like, yeah, they got a lot of money and they got a lot of wiggle room. So it's not the end of the world, but it would be nice to have that $15 million. If a guy like Mike McCagnan didn't go out there and get a Le'Veon Bell, a true main Johnson or pay for a Quincy and all of those guys were iffy, right? Quincy had injury concerns. Le'Veon hadn't played in a year and a half, and Trumaine Johnson was changing systems and was an up-and-down cornerback to begin with. When you're paying big money for a guy, you want to make sure that you're paying for something that is pretty close to guaranteed. Don't, you know, oh, this would be really exciting to have Le'Veon Bell. And at the time, I was caught up in it too. But it comes back to bite you. Get a sure thing. A guy that was doing something in a similar system, healthy, the year before, playing, trending upwards, not down. That's what you're looking for if you're going to give out a big contract. All right, so we talked about the players that we're paying on the team or off the team in 2021, guys that right now are lined up to get money from the Jets. We got to talk about the guys that are leaving. Who are the players that weren't listed right now that are potentially about to sign elsewhere? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, we got to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right. This is what's on tap. And it's nothing special today. It's been a busy, dark, cold little stretch here in Connecticut. And I've been drinking maybe a little extra. When it comes to a Tuesday evening on a long work week, it's like maybe I don't want to have something too strong. So I go with a Miller Lite, a fine Pilsner beer. And this was purchased in a 30 rack by roommate Kyle, put in the beer fridge upstairs and accessible, which is really why I'm drinking it right now. But I think it's worth noting that out of all of the light common beers like Coors Light, Bud Light, Bush Light, Michelob Ultra, uh, whatever else is in that mix, Miller Lite is probably my least favorite. I think it's because maybe with that Pilsner, it's got like a little bit more flavor to it. And when I'm drinking a beer that's in this category, I almost appreciate that it is flavorless other than just being like golden, crispy, and light and hydrating. That's kind of what I'm looking for. And this one tries to throw in a little bit extra. And it's like, you know, if I wanted that little extra, trust me, I know where to find it. You don't have to do it. I just want to be able to pound these things and, and hardly even notice them. To me, it's a less poundable beer from the poundable family. And that is why it's at the uh, the bottom of it for me. But still, it gets the job done, right? After a long day, I may only have one, two beers tonight. Doesn't have to be anything too crazy. It just is more of a symbol of my day being over and being on the, the second half of my life. Not my work day separated because once I crack that beer and I drink it and I'm recording the podcast, like, okay, that portion is over. It's just more of a symbolic thing, I guess, than anything. But it's fine. And that is what I'm drinking for today's What's on Tap. Now we got to talk about the upcoming internal Jets free agents. But first, a quick commercial. Alrighty, welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are about to talk about the upcoming internal Jets free agents. What that means is these are the players that were under contract playing for the Jets last year that will not be under contract currently moving forward in 2021. All of these players, we will have the ability to re-sign before anybody else. We can extend them, re-sign them, because their contracts don't officially come to a close until March 17th. And we are the only people that can talk to the players within that time range without having illegal tampering. So we potentially get first dibs at any of these people should we want them. These are also the players that are leaving that are helping to make up that large cap space that we have moving forward. So just reading them out, I'm kinda, I am kind of 
listed them in order of importance. And there are some people that weren't listed on here that, again, were very, very minimal for the Jets. You probably wouldn't even notice them being gone if I didn't mention them. So I just left them off the list right now just to keep things kind of clean and concise. So starting with potentially most important, Marcus May, Brian Poole, Neville Hewitt, Terrell Basham, Rashad Perriman. The list kind of starts to taper off a little bit. McDougald, Jordan Jenkins, Patrick Unwasor, who never made any impact for the Jets, Joe Flacco, Matthias Farley, Pat Elfline, also Frank Gore, Frankie Louvu, Harvey Lange, Arthur Mollette, Big Play Vincent Smith, Josh Smith, Daniel Brown, Bryce Hager, Josh Adams, and Josh Andrews. So when you look at that, the people at the top of that list, Marcus May, Brian Poole, Neville Hewitt, Terrell Basham, you'd love to get back. Brashad Perriman was not good. He isn't a great wide receiver because he's not clean, he's not crisp, he doesn't catch the ball every time he gets injured as well. But he is fast, and he did make plays here and there. If you can get him on a cheap deal and you have issues finding a, a wide receiver elsewhere, he could potentially make sense. Then when you got guys like Bradley McDougald, who was part of that Jamal Adams trade package and was supposed to be able to start at safety, got injured, and didn't even play that well when he did, you may be looking to move away from him. Jordan Jenkins, a guy that was potentially going to have a better season, get some sacks, didn't, had a bad year, trending down for sure, and Wasser didn't play like we mentioned. Flacco, a fine backup if you wanted to bring him back, depending on who you have starting, but that's all up in the air. Matthias Farley, a special teamer, but starting to get a little bit older. Doesn't play a ton of safety either. Pat Elfline, a left guard who I think was better than Alex Lewis, but still ranked on the lower half of left guards in the league. Frank Gore, a guy I absolutely do not need to see carry another ball in a Jets uniform ever again. Frankie Louvo, I'd like to get back. I think that he's a pretty good young player. From the edge, we don't have a lot going on there, especially. You heard the list before. It's like Bryce Huff right now at outside linebacker. So potentially get him back. And then, you know, guys like Lange, Mollett, Big Play Vince, Josh Smith. I could do without them. Daniel Brown, Hager, Adams, and Andrews as well. I could do without them. So those are the players that are free agents. The Jets will look internally to see if they can re-sign some of them first, save some money, potentially get hometown discounts. Maybe a guy wants to play just because he lives here. Maybe a guy wants to play for Robert Sala. And hopefully you can get some of these players for less money than they would cost on the open market. After that, we are going to have to replace anybody that leaves here with another player through the draft or free agency. Now, free agency will dictate what happens in the draft. That's why they have free agency first, because you shouldn't be building your team based off of players who have never played in the NFL. You should be basing it off of veterans and people who have been around the block a little bit. So you do free agency first in March. You fill a bunch of holes, and then depending on what you have left over, hopefully a lot of backup roles, maybe a few starters, you'll look for those positions in the draft. But again, everybody always says you want to focus on best player available if you really want to have a good draft board, not go for positions in need and reach for a guy. And if you're doing that, then you can't really afford to have too many holes that need to be filled through the draft. So free agency comes first and then the draft. And it'll all take shape kind of when it starts happening. But the positions of need that we really have to focus on fixing Starting with the offense, we got quarterback because we don't have Joe Flacco there. Right now, it's Sam Darnold, who was spotty at best last year. I think he's still got plenty of the tank. I think that the last two years of Adam Gase aren't even fair for evaluation for him. But still behind him is Mike White and rookie James Morgan, who never played. Neither one of them. I mean, I don't trust those guys as the backups. And 
even if you keep Sam Darnold, you still probably have to bring in a Flacco type of guy there. You got running back. You've got LaMichael P. Ryan, who I do not think is capable of being a starting running back in the league. And then Ty Johnson, who is actually a pretty good, you know, third down back, scat back, and deserves to be on the roster, I think. But you still need to bring in another guy, and hopefully it's a powerful, strong workhorse. Somebody that can really, really tote the rock and get extra yardage. Big playability, that'd be awesome too. Wide receivers. When you look at that room, you've got Mims, Crowder, and Berrios. They seem all but locked up. But losing Perriman, you're kind of like in that situation where it's like, all right, do we really want to move up Cager and Josh Malone, who are under contract right now? Or do we want to try to attack this in free agency and the draft? Both of which are actually stacked this year. Center slash guard, I put, because McGovern can switch to guard. Actually played some of his best offensive line football at guard with the Broncos. Played center for us. But we kind of need to replace. We're going to be cutting Alex Lewis. We don't have Elfline. We don't have Andrews. We're going to have to find another guy who can fit in there. Cameron Clark was our rookie drafted last year, but he never played for us. So we don't know just how good he's going to be. We have to have somebody starting at left guard, hopefully somebody really good. I would love that left side of the line to be absolutely dominant. You potentially could slide McGovern over to guard and then sign a really good center. It's another option. And then I think fullback because I don't think Trevon Wesco is going to cut it in this LaFleur system, and I think LaFleur is going to want a fullback. Moving over to the defense, we mentioned we got one outside linebacker right now in Bryce Huff. We need another guy there. We don't know exactly how they're going to utilize outside linebackers versus edge versus down linemen, but we know that it can't just be undrafted free age or undrafted uh, rookie Bryce Huff. So that's going to be a huge important position to get. Inside linebacker. The only two right now are Blake Cashman and CJ Mosley, both of whom never play. So we need to get somebody back there. Neville Hewitt comes to mind, but still would need to get more as well. Cornerback. I think you've got two, three guys that I trust there. Blashawn Austin's okay, tackles pretty well. I like Bryce Hall and the way he was trending up. And I like Javelin Gidry the way he was trending up as a scrappy nickel cornerback. Not sure if really any of them are set right now to be good day one starters that I trust completely. You need to bring in some more competition to that room. Safety, of course. It's only Ashton Davis right now. You don't have a backup safety. You don't have another starting safety. It's Ashton Davis, a rookie, who was pretty good in his first year, but didn't look like a guy that, like, oh, he needs to be starting every single game. He was slipping on the field. He made some mistakes here and there. We need potentially two safeties, and Marcus May comes to mind. And then kicker. Just because you've got Thicken and McLaughlin under contract does not mean that they have to kick. Cut those guys. If it costs, like, you know, $500,000 to cut them and not play them, that's fine because it's way more important to have field goals and extra points made when you need them. So those are kind of the important positions that we have to be looking at. Free agency and draft, in my opinion. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, center guard, fullback, outside linebacker, inside linebacker, cornerback, safety, and kicker. That sounds like almost all of the positions on the team. But what groups am I leaving out? I'm leaving out tight end because we've got right now Herndon, Griffin, and Wesco. I think you could roll with that crew. You may potentially cut Griffin, but right now, if you wanted to roll with that, it's not the worst in the league. Looking at tackles, you've got Fant, Becton, Adoga, and Connor McDermott. So potentially you're all set at tackle if you don't want to go that route. On the defensive side of the ball, if you were to keep Quinnen, Foley, and Shepard who are under contract, I think DT would be okay. 
defensive end right now. You've got Henry Anderson, Zuniga, John Franklin Myers, and Kyle Phillips. I think that one's set. Of course, you're going to cut Henry Anderson and then potentially need another guy to step in, but we'll see what happens there. We don't need a punter. We've got Braden Mann. We don't need a long snapper. We got Thomas Hennessy. So that's what we're sitting at right now. It's a ton to digest. I know that. I know that you're not going to remember all of it. I don't remember all of it from just doing all this stuff, but it's just kind of getting used to hearing those names, getting a feel for who's getting paid a lot, who's under contract still, who are we paying that's not under contract still, you know, who's leaving our team that we potentially could be looking to re-sign, and what positions do we have to focus on in these next coming months. That's what this whole state of the franchise section of this podcast is all about, just prepping us, laying the groundwork for it all, because these lists that I'm creating here are what are going to be used in the next steps as we look at free agents, who to look at, where to spend the money, where what do we have for money, and what is worth spending it on? Who do we need to spend it on? So I'm going to close this podcast episode out by just going over my five top priorities in kind of a recap. Everything I've already mentioned basically on this podcast so far, but these are the five things that right now I think are most important for the Jets, Joe Douglas, in this front office. Number one, extend or franchise tag Marcus May. I think, I was talking to my dad, we have a nice plan here. You give Marcus May two options. One, we give you like a three-year, $30 million deal where you make $10 million per year for three years. Or we franchise tag you, you're forced to play for us for one year, and you make $12 million or whatever the franchise tag is going to be set for this year. Both are decent options. You get paid a little bit more on the franchise tag, but you're only getting a one-year deal. You get paid a little bit less, but you have more security on the three-year deal. Hopefully he takes one of those. Next on the list, cut Henry Anderson. That's it. Just make $8 million, cut him. Number three, re-sign Neville Hewitt, Terrell Basham, Brian Poole. We only have two inside linebackers right now, both whom never play. Neville Hewitt, is he the best inside linebacker in the league? No. Is he limited in his ability? Of course he is. But he's a great tackler. He plays every single game. He was reliable for the Jets this year, was very good at tackling, and he deserves to get another contract with this team, especially because we've got really nobody there that I can rely on. Terrell Basham, still pretty young, one of the few guys who actually consistently got after the quarterback. He didn't do it a ton. He didn't have a ton of sacks, but he had some timely forced fumbles, timely fumble recoveries, did get after the quarterback. I think he's trending up. I don't think that he should be a starter for the Jets on either edge, but I think he should be part of a rotational package, and he's proven enough to me to want to give him another deal. And then Brian Poole, he didn't play the second half of the season, but he's been a really good cornerback for us. He played on a very cheap deal for us in the first year, like a $1 million deal. I don't know why. He just was really cool all of a sudden. Um, he's always been cool. But you got Javelin Gidry to play nickel cornerback. You can't trust him straight up, and if he gets injured, you got nobody really behind to play slot. I think you got to have two guys there. I think you have Brian Poole, your veteran. You have Javelin Gidry, your young guy, and you do another year or two with Brian Poole. I think that would be really helpful. Fourth thing on the list is just cutting Alex Lewis. Cut him. $5 million. Save it right there. We don't need to see him play for the Jets ever again. If you want a guy about as good as Alex Lewis, get Pat Elfline, who replaced him at the end of last year. And instead of making $5 million, Elfline last year was making like $900,000. So pay him, what, one point five, Save $4 million and have a guy just as good if that's really what you need to do. But I think you could find a way to upgrade both of them. And then last, the fifth thing that the Jets have to do, figure out C.J. Mosley. 
what is going on with this guy? We mentioned that he is due $18 million in the Jets still, $18, $19 million. He's only getting paid $7 million of that this year. So it's going to be dragging out in the future. We're still going to have to pay him $12 million after the season ends. So it's not like you can just cut him now and move on. No, you'd have to eat 19 mil. Cut him next year, now you still have to eat 12 mil. So it really doesn't make sense to get rid of him. But at this point, it's like he didn't play this year, which is fine. He opted out. A bunch of players did. That's his choice. But he was injured leading up to that, and it was a very mysterious, weird injury that he left after week one against Buffalo, played a great game, and then it was always like he was week to week, and he had this groin thing, but you never really understood what the injury was, and then he kind of came back for a short while but looked really bad and slow, and you started thinking to yourself, like, is he ever going to be able to play again? And then when the opt-out option became available and he chose that and pushed everything back and it didn't count as a contract year for him, you're like, oh my gosh, he's (laughs) extending this whole thing and, like, we're going to be stuck with this thing for even longer potentially. And you just, I'm not sure. If there's anybody he would want to play for, I think Robert Saul is one of those guys that could potentially get it out of him. He's still young enough to be good. We know how great he was. He deserved that contract when he got it. He's really, really good when he's healthy and playing well. You just worry that, like, is he ever going to be healthy enough again? And if he's not, is he potentially going to try to milk this for as much as he can and just keep getting money out of the Jets? I don't want to, I don't want to insinuate anything. I don't know what's going on. Those are conversations for Robert Sala and Joe Douglas to have, but that's what I'm saying. you got to figure out CJ Mosley. Figure out what his end goal is here. Is he trying to get back on the field and play, you know, 500 snaps a year for the next three, four years? Or is he kind of like, I'm not sure where I'm at. Is he looking to play this year coming up? we got to figure that out because so much money is tied up in him and it's been deferred back for even longer and we can't get rid of him even if we wanted to. So, yeah, C.J. Mosley is going to be a big one. And if he plays and he's healthy and he's back close to what he was, that would be best-case scenario. He's already under contract. So that's basically it for this podcast episode. I know it was boring, a lot of numbers. Uh, I was kind of sloppy with it, but it's just so much to look at, so many things to think about all at once. And looking at it all, my brain starts getting scrambled. I can't imagine what it is like for Joe Douglas to actually have to make these decisions and then, uh, you know, cut a guy, see him succeed elsewhere, or pay a guy and then find him out to be injured or never as good as you thought he was going to be. It's a stressful thing. It causes people to lose jobs. It's the reason that teams do or don't win Super Bowls, make the playoffs, all of that. But that's where the money's made. And that's kind of what you got to do. We're going to do our best on this podcast to kind of keep forecasting, taking a look. I think in the upcoming episodes, we're going to do a free agency preview for sure, looking at some of those positions. Maybe we'll split it up over the next uh, four weeks, doing it every two weeks. Maybe we'll split it up offense and defense. But the free agent market's going to change because so many teams have cap issues right now, and they're going to have to find a way to get under the cap. We don't even know what the cap is right now because it's going to take until like March 16th perhaps to even find out. So it's a ton of stuff up in the air. Deshaun Watson's name keeps getting mentioned. It's an exciting time to be a Jets fan because we've got a good coach, a lot of money, and good draft picks. And a great, young, promising quarterback says that he wants to play for us. And we're like, well, we'll decide if we want to make it happen or if we have too many assets that we want to keep. It's it's kind of a cool time. Unfortunately, we have to watch Tom Brady in the Super Bowl this upcoming weekend. But we'll get through that. We'll start focusing on 2021 even harder. And plenty of good football to come for the Jets. So that's all I got for you. Thank you for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life.